Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the president of A Dynamic Leader and the Exponential Success Coach. I have with me today a woman who's been doing management consulting uh, around the world internationally for over a decade, almost a decade and a half at this point. Um, She's got an amazing framework that I want to make sure to share with you because it's what caught my attention. And um, I think you're going to love what she has to say. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, Liz Kirby. Welcome. Hi, Wayne. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, yes. Now you didn't uh, you didn't wake up one day and say I'm going to be a management consultant. <laughs> Usually, I know that I sort of found my way into leadership development and management consulting. Uh, it was kind of by accident, you know. I'd started down one path. Mine was the path of psychology. And then it was like, wow, this actually works when you work with companies. Like, this is amazing. Um, what was <laughs> what was your path to get into this? You uh, you have such a. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna make a joke and go. It sounds like a nice southern accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, right? You're you're y'all y'all aren't from around here. No, so. Right. So talk to us a little bit about where you're from, how you grew up and how you got to uh, to do what you're doing now. Of course. Uh, I'm not from around here, as you can tell by the accent, Wayne. I'm from currently based in Melbourne, Australia, which is my hometown, but right. not dissimilar to you, I guess, if I I take it back to my university and college studies, I um I did a combined uh, university degree at Melbourne University, a combination of um, commerce and business studies and then, not dissimilar to you, psychology uh, as well with a little bit of political science thrown in for good measure. And at the time, you know, ripe old age of 22, 23, coming out of university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew obviously having spent time um, in psychology and studying management as well, people was what I was essentially really curious about. But at that stage, it felt like I didn't really have the the miles on the road, the life experience to go into psychology. And so management consulting was this perfect hybrid, really, of working with people, but in a, a broader obviously a broader context. And like all good 22-year-olds, my friend was applying for a, a graduate position in a consulting firm. And I thought maybe I should do that too. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be uh, accepted into a, a graduate position, obviously very competitive positions to get into. Um, and the rest is history, so to speak. Amazing. What was uh, what was your first role? So I, I joined uh, Deloitte here in Melbourne as a, um, a originally as a vacation summer position, and then was offered a graduate role. 
uh, in the human capital division, which then was all about the, um, as I said, the, the people aspects of change as opposed to strategy or operations or technology consulting. And that was a, a really formative experience for me. I was privileged to work with some incredible consultants who knew their craft inside and out and took me under their wing um, and had the privilege of working with lots of different clients, everything from banking clients to public sector clients to um, a stint in the Defence Force. You know, I remember flying out to um, an Air Force base in Adelaide, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, thinking, my goodness, this is it was just such a varied experience. And to be honest with you, that's what, what continues to attract me today, that no two days are the same and there's always that variety and, and meeting different people from all walks of life who are trusting us, I guess, with some obviously some fairly um, challenging organisational problems. Isn't that amazing how, I mean, for me, when people ask what I do and and they say, well, you could never work in our industry because you don't have this background. It's like, well, people are people are people and process is process is process. Right. And so you're shaking your head. Yes. It's like, yeah. So, you know, here you are at 22, a young 20 something, and you're coming into the military to tell them how to do leadership. That must have been. <laughs> Very, Yeah. Absolutely. And con constantly as a, a consultant, if I reflect on, um, I guess, some of the things that not necessarily have held me back, so to speak, but what you touched on there, Wayne, is so, is so accurate, I think, as management consultants and particularly for me as a career management consultant, we're oftentimes entrusted with these positions of being an advisor or being in the tent, so to speak, and at the ripe old age of 20-something or 30-something or even into your 40s, it's you're oftentimes advising people who have many, many more years and decades of experience either in leadership or in their industry, as you said, or obviously their particular organisation. It can be quite a, a, a bit of an affront, to be honest, as a new management consultant to be in that position and it does take a little while to you know grow a bit of a thicker skin and also build your confidence too and know that your opinion is trusted and valued as well it's a big deal for you um you know you've used that word a few times trust or being entrusted i think that's you know that speaks to integrity actually where you you recognize that what you're being given is precious you know, you're being let in behind the scenes. It is a precious place to be, and it demands that you honor it. And, you know, much of our audience, <laughs> it's such a varied audience, you know, uh, that that this is a peek behind the scenes that as yeah. as we look at, you know, as as Liz or I or any other person who's doing leadership development, management, development management consulting you know as we step into an organization there is a level of trust that we are given and that we need to maintain and contain by um holding what we're given as uh, almost sacred right mm. let me ask you a uh 
a different kind of question. Um, did you feel sort of uh, like you had to prove yourself as a woman, especially coming into, I mean, the military and the other the other organizations you named are very male dominant and you know here's this here's this young kid and uh female and what was that like for you because um you know part of one response is to stomp your foot and go i am big darn it um and the Mm. other is like just watch me Mm. You know, and so how did you take that on? Um, great question. I think my my colleagues and the people who know me well would probably say I fall into the latter category of just watch me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been, I guess, very fortunate, Wayne, in terms of my um, my career, my experience. On the whole, I've had very positive experiences, whether that's in the context to your point of sometimes feeling a a bit younger, going into a boardroom, um, being a woman, sometimes going into largely male-dominated workforces. I've, as I said, been very fortunate that women or men around me have always been very supportive um, and looking for opportunities for me to step up, be myself and as I said, I just feel very fortunate because I know there are plenty of people who haven't had those experiences. That's not to say that I don't still think there is um, work for us to do as a as a collective. I think, unfortunately, in some industries, in some parts of the world, the, the kind of boys' club mentality, so to speak, is still alive and well. Um, but I'm a big believer that Every person has an individual responsibility to to push forward and kind of push on those doors or push on those glass ceilings, so to speak, to help enact change such that, you know, the women or younger leaders who are behind me have an even better experience than, than what I did because, yeah, I can't sit here and say it's, it's perfect, we've done enough, there's absolutely more that we can do um, to help continue to challenge, I think, some of those assumptions, stereotypes, and and also just ingrained behaviors, to be honest with you as well, that oftentimes it's not the um it's not grandiose or in your face. It's more mm-hmm. about those um almost like microaggressions that sometimes people don't realize that they're doing and that's not me condoning it. It's just oftentimes it's harder to influence those micro behaviors, isn't it? As opposed to a big grandiose act that you can call out a little more deliberately i think this is this is one of those places where we can generalize now for the audience and go you know it's up to each of us actually to put a spotlight on it when we see it you know i am a white male and i recognize that there is privilege and that actually creates a greater responsibility for me to open more doors or to at least spotlight aggression or microaggression or you know those things that that might just be part of the way we've always done things it's like no no it doesn't have to continue that way like mm-hmm. let's open some doors let's be a little more broad-minded let's uh invite a conversation so 
I think it's, uh, you know, I asked the question, making an assumption that you would have been pushed against a little bit and, um, you know, good, good that it wasn't all the time. Um, and, and truly, I mean, I think it is up to each of us to, to bring that as a spotlight when we see it. Um, and I say that for our audience to just kind of reflect where in your world, where in your world might you see places where, well, things have always been done that way. And yeah, you know, we don't really include everybody, but that's kind of okay. Cause it works out. It's not okay. Like open the door. Mm. So that's, um, it may be a little preachy. Okay. So it is. Um, Good. Let's, <laughs> I want to talk about a couple of things. The, um, I want to, I want to ask you about like, what was one of your biggest successes? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, for me, it was taking a third of a workforce through a, a complete transit, like 2000 people being in complete upheaval and creating the, uh, <laughs> the, the communication plan and everything about how was this transition going to happen in this workplace? Um, and and I mean, it's phenomenal when you see all the pieces that have to go together for you. What would you say was a, was a major win for you? What was like, because that kind of stuff, it's hard work. And then as you're, as you're in it, it's like, this is hard work, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> and then when you're done with it, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I ever want to do that again. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh- that so res- that resonates a lot, man. Do I want to do this again? And all of a sudden, you're doing it again. Exactly. So what what would that be for you? What was one of the bigger wins for you, or bigger projects that you've stepped into? Sure. I think I, I love the question. I think it, a win as a consultant is such an interesting concept because by nature we are you're the backup singer right you're you're never you're never center stage and that that's not you know you know I wish I was center stage but it's in the work that we do it is supporting leaders isn't it it's supporting organizations for them to make those those big changes or, or steps forward in what they do if I think about um I guess some of my experiences that have really shaped my thinking as a consultant, but also my thinking as a leader. There was a, a particular project a couple of years ago when I was still living in London um, and I was supporting an organisation. It, w- it was probably the first or one of the first projects I had leading a big team. It was a probably combined team on the client side and on the Q5 side of about 12 people. And this organisation had, they described themselves as a teenage organisation, a, a technology company, and they had been very, um, very successful for a period of time, but had hit a bit of a bumpy patch. And it was time to take some bold steps forward. They had a new CEO and um, it was challenging. We walked in there and Oftentimes what we see in organisations, particularly those what I would describe as teenage organisations, you get this old and new culture and you have people who are, you know, the lifers who might have been there for 13 and a half of the 14 years that the organisation has existed for and you have a new wave of people too who have been attracted to 
moving to an organisation that is still perhaps, you know, deemed to be in startup phase. So you could see this, this old and new culture dynamic really quite ingrained and playing out in not necessarily the most um, attractive way possible. And we I were just, brought- I just want to pause you for a second. Sure. <clears throat> a lot of people would say, oh, my gosh, it was really ugly. We had old versus new. We had infighting. And you've gone, it just sort of played out in not the most attractive way possible. I just, I just, I love that. I've <laughs> always got to be a diplomat as a consultant, <laughs> don't we, Wayne? Um, it was yeah, ugly. <laughs> it, it was a little bit ugly in times. But the, also I think the thing to, um, to note as well is that everyone was coming at it with the best of intentions, right? It was people perfect. who. Yes, who, Perfect. Who uh, who wanted the best for this organisation, but were were struggling to see how the other half lived and how you know the perspective of maybe we could do things in a new and different way versus the you know the old brigade who thought actually the way we've always done things is why we're successful and perhaps we should continue on doing things in this way. So we were brought in to, as is the case on most of our projects, do. Um, what we call as an organisation scan, an organisation review, um, and we use a, a model called the um, organisation effectiveness model, a series of 12 elements that we um, conduct interviews, conduct surveys, and understand where are the real hotspots or triggers in the organisation that really help to focus our subsequent organisation design work um, and, you know, some of those elements might be around culture or values and behaviours or process or roles and accountabilities or leadership. So it's really the whole gamut, Wayne, that you'll be very familiar with in terms of what are the levers that an organisation has available to it to, you know, enact a, di- a different outcome for that organisation. So we conducted that review that spat out a whole number of things and we then went on to complete a full organization redesign so top to bottom operating model change um you know all all systems go in terms of the impacts that that organization felt but you know if i kind of cycle through it quickly the the impact that that had in the long run was hugely positive for that organisation. We were able to support them to make, to make some, some challenging choices about who they wanted to be um, and repositioning some of their relationships with their external parties as well. And through that process, I'm really pleased to say that that new leadership team that came forth, I think, could really see the value in having been through a slightly bruising process that organisation redesign often is, but it's that process itself that is catalyzing both for a leadership team but also the organisation itself. And I would say that um, to answer your question in terms of a a big win for me, I, I think being being the person that facilitates that process but also has the privilege of sitting alongside a leadership team and observing them having some of those more challenging conversations about why do we exist, what do we want to be, how do we want to show up differently both as a team and a team that leads our organisation 
was really rewarding for me, although very, you know, difficult as you said initially to kind of, oh my gosh, are we doing this again? But from start to finish, that was a six month process and not without its bumpy periods. But I look back on that and I think that was a really formative experience for me, both as a management consultant and as a leader as well. I think that's great. And you've you've actually answered some questions along the way that I want to highlight. The process typically is six months to a year, sometimes longer. The fact that you did it in six months is, is a tribute to you and to the leadership team on site mm-hmm. at the at the organization that they were able to lean in and go, yes. Uh the fact that you started with um What's their purpose? What's their big why? And you have that. I want to go into the model in a second. You start with purpose. And when I talk about uh, my brand is exponential success, right? Dynamic leader, exponential success, three V's of exponential success, values first, always vision next. And then what I call vitality, which is how are you showing up? That's the foundation on which you build other things. You've got uh, this incredible, this incredible uh, format. Um, you have purpose and strategy as the first step, and mm-hmm. I see that as actually two gigantic, big steps. Uh, right, first purpose and getting everybody on the same page about their why. Why do we exist as an organization? Um, it's. It, that part for me personally is is probably the most fun of it all because the rest is just like okay let's put the pieces in place mm-hmm. but really getting people to say to declare this is my value this is my why this is what i want my organization to look like where we're going so um so i'm going to turn it back to you and ask you to talk a little bit about um i'm going to preview it here by talking about organizational health and um, the purpose and strategy being step one and then organization design and then how you really step in and develop the culture uh, mm-hmm. because that that piece is the ongoing piece. It's mm-hmm. one thing to say, I believe in this. And it's another thing to say, good, we're modeling it, we're encouraging mm-hmm. it, we're growing it. So I want to talk about that. And then where the, you know, you've listed transformation as, and change is kind of the fourth step. And, and it's like, well, it's, sort of weaves throughout all of it. Like every it step is transformation and change. So um, uh, that, by the way, is, is defined as organizational health, right? And, mm-hmm. and so please, I'm, uh, I'm going to stop talking and give it back to you to, to take us through all of that. Um, I'll probably interrupt you because please do. <laughs> you're going to be brilliant. And I want to highlight some of the stuff that you're about to say. So Please. Yes, thank you. And please jump jump in and add to what I'm saying, um, Wayne. I think if I step back for a moment and, and think about how Q5 even arrived at um, the concept of organisational health, I think we've always been believers that um, our role is to help support organisations, whether it's organisations who are thriving and looking to take that next step in their Um, performance almost as, you know, elite athletes, so to speak. But we always have those organisations that for whatever reason might be struggling and actually it's rather than the physiotherapy of taking an elite athlete and preparing them for for the next game or the next race, it's 
actually more kind of emergency surgery um, on the the organisation in distress. And so for us, organisational health felt like um, a good fit for organisations of all shapes and sizes, irrespective of where they were in their life cycle or maturity. But to to your point in terms of setting up this conversation, it also covers the full gamut of the vast array of challenges or services that an organisation might come to Q54. So that starts, as you said, with the purpose and strategy piece. And it's um, it's interesting to link those two things together, isn't it? I think we're big believers that without purpose, without your why, without defining why it is you exist, it is almost impossible to galvanise an organisation in any meaningful way behind um, behind that, whether we're talking at an, at an organisational level, I'm working with a, a client at the moment um, further down into the organisation and we're talking about it almost at a, a team or department level. What is our why and how do we support our organisational purpose in delivering what we're all here to do? And I think we, um, as Q5, have seen a real uptick in the last probably three or four years around organisations who are much more willing to spend time interrogating their why. I think previously it was slightly glossed over in terms of, oh, this is our vision, this is our mission. We kind of know why we're all here, but without having those really eyeballing sometimes confronting conversation around a boardroom or a leadership table to say, actually, have we all got the same version of that why? And are we all truly aligned on on why we show up every day? That's awesome. I want to pause you here. This is really good. Two things. Um, When Liz talks about Q5, um, she's talking about Q5 partners.com um, where you can find her. So that's her business, Q5 partners. Um, so when she says we at Q5, that's what she means. Uh, and and then in terms of uh, how you approach it, it's very interesting because when someone says, yeah, 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 we have the vision, we have, you know, we have our mission statement, we have our vision, we know why we're here. Um, my response to that is show me how you live into it. Tell me, mm-hmm. like, give me an example of, how you lived into it today. Um, and, and I will do that with individuals. It's like, well, I get up and I, you know, I, I want to do my very best. It's like, so sh- talk to me, give me an example of how you did your very best today, you know? Um, and is your very best the same as, you know, what your partner over here says uh, he or she is working on, you know, it's like, or what they're, what they're headed toward is mm-hmm. uh, are we on the same page headed toward the same vision. Um, The other thing is having a vision, having a purpose, Mm -hmm. having something that's external does give you that beacon that you, that you are all headed toward versus uh, kind of a hierarchical, um, the, the demand, because I said, so it's Mm -hmm. like, we all show up to do this thing. We all do it in our own way. Right. So Cool. I just, I wanted to pause there just to to emphasize that it's like, show me that you Mm -hmm. really believe it. It's not just a, a sign on the wall, you know, we have that. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, Wayne, and it, it's sometimes a question we ask is, uh, two questions we ask is, how do decisions get made? Because mm. oftentimes that's a real insight into purpose, values, um, what do we uphold as an organisation or as a team, um, and also what happens in a crisis or what happens when things go wrong because it's in those moments of, of truth or challenge that you tend to see an organisation's true colours, so to speak. Um, you, you can sometimes see um, organisations doing a brilliant job of, of living very noble values when things are going well, when the share price looks good, when we're not trying to live through a pandemic, um, when we've got a stable global situation, whatever it is. But when there are dynamics that are putting pressure, particularly on leaders, I think it's interesting to then lift the hood slightly and say, actually, how, how do people really show up? And not judging them for that. It's just getting that accurate insight into what is the living organism that is this organisation like on a day-to-day basis. I think that's it's so important. And if if you think about it at a personal level, like you can, one of the things I love about organization development, leadership management, management development, leadership development, all of that as it's combined, um, you can say, this is how we exist in this organization. And you can also draw it back and, and keep it at a very personal level. Mm. And so as an individual, as any audience member, no matter what your role in an organization, whether you're running it or helping it stay together or that you're not in an organization, you are in relationship with someone else somehow. And I think I want to call out the the two questions you just asked, Liz, which were, how does it, how do decisions get made? And I think if you look at that, you look at your own engagement and your own responsibility, your own accountability for that. You know, it's like, well, things don't happen the way I want to, so I just take over and do it. Or, right, it's like, well, that's not necessarily healthy. Um, it might help to get out of a crisis, maybe, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily healthy. Um, so take a look. How do decisions get made? Um, and what are the working agreements around that? That's, you know, those are, that's like a, a core area of focus. Um, and then what happens in a crisis? Um, and, and really look at, do you draw back? Do you step in? Do you, uh, do you call on the resources that you have? Or do you forget you have those resources and try and power through? So I think those are... Those are huge questions, no matter where you are. So as an individual, as a family member, as a, as a member of an organization or the leader of an organization, fabulous, really good, really good. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. 
It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Take us to the next step. So we have purpose and strategy. Then we have organization organization design is the next one. Did you want to talk about that? I'd love to talk about organization design because I um, organization design is a really interesting phenomenon. I think for for Q5 when we first started, uh, we were founded in London almost 15 years ago now and our founding partners saw a real opportunity to support organizations in the discipline of organization design. At the time, there were, you know, consulting firms focused on strategy, the big strategy houses, lots of consulting firms focused on big, ugly tech implementations, but there was this whole white space in between where organisations need the support to help manoeuvre the organisation on a day-to-day basis to better deliver on whatever it is they're trying to achieve from a strategic point of view. And so Q5 has really carved out a a value proposition and a a position in markets globally to be known for this expertise. And quite often what we find is that it's not a terribly well understood discipline and it's also a discipline that for many organisations and for good reason, they they can't necessarily afford to invest in this capability in-house or it's not a capability that they always need switched on. And so the way we approach this is... um, is thinking about a couple of steps in terms of understanding how things work today. Um, We can't design a future world without understanding how things work today and what's important to us as an organisation, but also what are the things we think we need to fix going forward. Um, We've already touched on on the vision piece, but bringing that into organisation design is really critical. There's then an opportunity to to spend a bit of time interrogating the activity that we undertake as an organisation. Quite often what happens when we're engaged by clients is we'll sit down with a CEO and they'll say, it's all good, Lisa, I've drawn out an org chart on a piece of paper and I, I really like Wayne, so I'm going to put Wayne into this role and he's been doing a great job and we've got to say that that's great, but we need to step back and actually interrogate the work Um, and understand where people are spending their time and then we can think about how those packages of work need to change in order to deliver on that new vision and new strategy that we've set out because without doing that we're moving deck chairs around and crossing our fingers and hoping for a different outcome. So by interrogating that activity we can actually say we need to stop doing that or we need to outsource or automate that, or we need to invest in this new activity and build capability around it in order to deliver a different outcome to what we've done previously. And from there, we then move into let's create an operating model. So a picture on a page of what are those different activities and capabilities. And that's when we get into, okay, 
CEO, you can now design your leadership team structure and you can put Wayne where Wayne should be based on what, you know, skill sets and capabilities Wayne's got. Um, And then the all-important processes, ways of working and how do we make this thing land as well. Do you use uh, the Jim Collins model of in good to great where you, right, you look at the boxes, not, you know, where it's like, oh, but we have this person and and he or she or they are so good at what they do and, and we should just put them up here. And it's like, well, let's look at what we need first. If we're going to do organizational change, let's look at what is it we said we were doing. And I love um, interrogate the activity is not a, a phrase I would use. Um, so I love that phrase. I it's like to really question why we're doing what we do. Yes. Um, I, I love that it's just so succinct. Interrogate the activity. Um, it's it's a great uh, expression. I um, I think it's so important that we do look at why do we do this? And if the answer is because we've always done that um, and it's worked up till now, it's like, that's not actually the answer. <laughs> no, In fact, that for you, I'm, I'm going to assume for you uh, as well as for me, that's a flag of, okay, that's one of the first things that we're going to like really dive into. We've always done that. It's like, mm. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That might be yeah something to lift the lid on it and look in a, a little bit more detail. And I, yeah. I think, also, Wayne, to be um, you know, to be fair to leaders of organisations, it, it's not an activity. Sorry, it's not a process that leaders often go through. They don't have the luxury or the space to step back and and to use the phrase again, interrogate the activity. Oftentimes, this is a a point in time where people say, actually, oh my goodness, I didn't realise the teams were spending so much time doing X, Y, Z or that that took people that amount of time. And then you can overlay headcount information on top of that. You can overlay salary information on top of that. And it's, I think we as consultants, when we go in to run these processes, it's really important that we don't become desensitised to it. I think sometimes, you know, consultants sometimes get a bad rap regardless but when you go into an organization and people say you want headcount data you want salary data as well what are you doing with that information it is always in the context of looking at the activity and shining a light and saying actually guys is this where we want to be spending our time effort and money going forward yes or no and making choices and trade-offs around where we do want that effort and investment to go in the in the future, and I think keeping the human element f- at, at the forefront of thought, mm-hmm. I think, is important. Absolutely. That, that said, holding on to activity while we're busy being busy um, doesn't actually justify the position. No. Um, and and so I think the human element, the the part of the role of the consultant then is to say we have a valuable valuable asset in this person where do we want to see that person grow um because we need to cut out this position because it's it's busyness Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, i'm big i'm a big fan of process flow and showing it to organizations and it's like do you know how many times this thing 
has been touched by how many people as it tries to move forward and is drawn back and like it has been touched 14 times does it need that mm-hmm. <laughs> before we get to this outcome uh, it's it's an incredible thing to point out where mm-hmm. it's got bogged down it's uh it's <laughs> uh it's eye opening um, so I want to make sure we have time for you to talk about uh, some of the other components of, of Q5. You talk about development and culture and you talk about transformation and change. Um, sure. If you could, if you could touch on those. And then I also want to open the door for you to, to talk about anything that I haven't asked you. Like, you know, I, I keep my, I keep my interviews fairly free flowing and, and you know sometimes we go down different places and it's like i forgot to say this so if there's anything that you were hoping i'd ask um so talk about talk about those two things first the idea of development and culture and talk about Mm -hmm. uh, transformation and change and then whatever else you you think um would be valuable to share no problem the development and culture piece is absolutely critical, um, as you know, Wayne, and you made the very valid point um, at the outset of, of this um, discussion that development and culture is the thread that runs through all of this, right? Like it's at the heart of ensuring that our leaders are set up successfully to lead transformation and changes of this scale and our culture is our you know, our wrapper around the organisation that imbues everything we do and say and and make decisions on, on as leaders as well. The, for us at, at Q5, I think the, the leadership development piece is really critical, primarily from a change leadership point of view in ensuring that our leaders are, are supported as individuals to lead themselves and their teams through what is oftentimes a, a really challenging um, time for people, uh, research out of um, the Neuroleadership Institute, um, some of David Rock's uh, research almost 15 years ago now talks about the SCARF model um, that, you know, really fascinating um, studies that looked at um, MRI scans of people who were going through social change and that the part of the brain that is activated when we have a social change in our life, whether that's a change at work, a change in our family dynamics, a change in relationships, that exactly the same part of the brain is activated as if we were under physical threat. And what that tells us from a development point of view is that there are so many different aspects of an organisational change we need to be aware of and to ensure that leaders are supported so that they can lead themselves through that change, but also their teams as well is absolutely critical. So making sure that we invest enough time and effort doing that, we think it is really key to, to ensuring people are supported and are successful in leading through change. Alongside that, as I said, there's obviously the culture piece as well. Our work tends to focus a lot on um, getting under the skin of values and behaviours and to your earlier very astute observation around it's how we live and breathe in an organisation. It's not the poster on the wall um, and making sure that as a collective and we're big believers in co-design processes. So this isn't a kind of ivory tower consulting 
um, project where we come in and sit in a darkened room for 12 weeks, come out at the end and tell you this is how, you know, your organisation should live. It's a process that we like to include people in co-design so that the the sentiment of those values and behaviours is what's really authentic and true to that organisation. It's not something that's dictated to them by us. Um, and then the, the last piece that um, forms our model is all about change and transformation. And this is also a, a very non-linear process, uh, something that is that runs through a, a lot of the projects and the type of work that we do. And for us at at the heart of change, and I probably sound like a bit of a nerd here, but I, I do feel like change management is having another moment. I think it, it was probably um, one of the less um, exciting disciplines when it comes to organisational change um, as a concept, but it's, you know, there's really fascinating um, research coming through in terms of nudge theory, behaviour theory, and how you can take a slightly more, I guess, nuanced approach rather than think historically what has been very linear, um, highly documented change management processes that, to be honest with you, I don't think gets anyone out of bed in the morning. Um, but it's encouraging to see the world of, I guess, psychology and change management coming together to, to be a little bit more... Um, nuanced and pragmatic about what is going to support organisations through some of their big projects. And then the transformation piece, I guess, is um, is something that, that runs through everything that we've just discussed. And, and for us at Q5, it's an element of all of those different disciplines packaged up together into something that has got a, a clear, hopefully, start and end point um, and supports organisations to move through some of the big changes that we've described. I love everything about what you just said. Um, so, so powerful, so good. I don't know that, um, <laughs> I don't know that it, it's like it landed as, as it, it's like, listen to that part again, because that was great. The just, you know, and, and all you're doing is you're talking about the way you approach and what you, what you offer people. And yet, and yet how you approach what you offer is so important. The idea of culture shift being co-designed and not dictated. I love that term um, that, you know, I was talking with one of my clients actually today about you want to get them on board, you're going to have a conversation where you ask them first what matters to them. Step-by-step, mm. <laughs> like, step. this is how you get to co-design. Well, if that's what matters, then, you know, let me tell you what matters to me. It's it's the very basics of conversation and yet um, so often overlooked. And again, yeah. I mean, this can be, you could do this at home. Uh, if you take these principles Understand that you're in relationship with somebody. If you start to dictate, you're going to get great pushback. Um, mm -hmm. If you co-design together, you're going to get this vision that you then build a strategy to. Uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, to to put it into uh, an analogy. It's like if we sat down to design a holiday, right? We're going on vacation and. Um, I think we all should go over here. And it's like, well, 
what if we wanted to see this or that? It's like, no, I've decided for us, we're going to have a good time and we're all going in this direction. Uh, no, that's not how a good holiday is, is designed. It's what do we want to do? What do we want to enjoy? Is it the beach? Is it the mountains? Is it uh, active? Is it relaxing? Is it right? And so for organizations, it's the exact same thing. What are we doing? Why are we here? How do we pull this together? Um, I love some of the the uh, the references to the to the new research. You know, you're talking about the limbic system and the reticular activating system. Um, the pieces that keep us on alert, like mm. change, more change, more change. And what that does is it pumps cortisol and it pumps your adrenaline. And um, you watch people put on weight because they're just in this cortisol dump all mm. the time. And um, and so how do you alleviate that? That it's not yeah. this, you know, there's it, we're the change is not the tiger that's coming to get you. It's yeah. like it's part of your safety, actually. Um, so great. And then communication. I mean, that's that you didn't say that, but I know that that's part of what you do throughout is as part of the culture, building the culture is creating this communication. Um, I love it. I love, I just, uh, you know, I didn't know much about Q5. Um uh, as an organization before you got here. And I'm delighted to learn about Q5 partners and what you offer. It's, um, it's pretty incredible. So back to the last question I have for you, which is what didn't I ask? What were you hoping to share that I didn't get to? Or that you oh, We've covered a lot of ground, Wayne. So <laughs> I feel like we've, um, We've touched on a lot of things and I'm sure there's a, a number of things we could have um, gone a little bit deeper on and I, uh, I'm i glad we've touched on the co-design element towards the end of our conversation because yes. I think just to to go a little bit deeper on that again, it's, it's something that, as you said, people can bring into their um, day-to-day professional lives and it I think why we feel so strongly about it is that we have this concept that you either pay at the front or you pay at the back when it comes to organisational change. And what we mean by that is that if you put the time and effort in up front, bringing people along the journey with you, so whether that's us as consultants working in a co-design capacity or whether it's a leader engaging their leadership team to help create a new normal together, whether that's a new strategy or a new organisational structure or a new process or service, whatever it is, that will absolutely pay in spades in the long run because you are no longer the singular voice on what is this new direction where we need to run in. And I'm sure it's the same in the States at the moment. In Australia, we've got unprecedented levels of burnout in leaders thanks to three years of pandemic and then now into other macro events that are are causing um, this kind of pressure cooker of intensity around our leaders. By spending the time and effort doing that, you've created a, a multiplier effect of other people who are now championing this change and also, most importantly, have bought into and believe in what we're trying to do 
if you don't pay at the front and spend that time up front doing that, you will pay at the back doing it. And so, and that's okay. Sometimes you have to run what we call a closed process in organization design because the changes you're trying to put in place are so sensitive that means that you have to give yourself that time to design something and then bring people on board to buy into it. But every time you do something as a leader, you're making a choice about whether you're paying at the front or paying at the back of the process. Both can work and both have a place, but you can't afford to do neither. (laughs) Um, And you should always be deliberate about which one you're going to do and why. And as much as possible, be open and honest with your team about which one you're choosing and why, because that, you know, back to, you know, David Rock's research, you know, we know certainty is one of those critical um, aspects that, that, you know, destabilises people when it comes to any organisational change. So I just wanted to, to end, on, on, I guess, on, on that piece because it's, I think co-design is one of those words that gets kicked around a lot and sounds lovely and people think, no thanks, I don't have time for that. But it's it's that concept of paying at the front or paying at the back is the why we're such big believers in driving co-design processes as much as possible. So important. Um, you know, just to to you talked about leadership clarity and and transparency. Um, the idea of we're going to make decisions, the decisions are mine. We're going to make decisions, you're going to offer feedback, the decision is still mine. But I'm curious about what you say. We're going to make decisions. The decisions are a group decision. And you have to be really clear, which is it? Because so often people will be in the, oh, I thought it was a group decision when it's the, no, no, you're just informing me. Ultimately, it's my decision. And you get great pushback and actually um, dissent. (laughs) So if if you're not clear up front, about getting where you're going to get the buy-in. It's like, no, no, as the leader, I'm going to create the framework. Once we've got some some movement, then I'm going to ask for input. Awesome. Be super clear about that. And that's, you know, that goes for families as well. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. everything we're talking about, an organization is an organization, right? And, um, and so in terms of how you show up and the kind of communication, and the um, you know the the co-design. What is it you're co-designing? Mm-hmm. What's the outcome you're after? And what's the feeling that goes with that outcome? Right. Um, and for you, you're building these. You know, you step in as a as a super consultant, and you um, you build these uh, organizations where people end up feeling good about coming to work again. Yeah. I think that's fabulous. I think that's really fabulous. So I'm very appreciative of you being here. So thank you so much. Um, Truly a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Yeah. All right. My guest. (laughs) That's so great. Liz Kirby with with Q5Partners.com. If they want, if my audience wants to learn more about you, do they just Google that or do you want to offer a direct kind of how do people reach you or 
LinkedIn, great way to reach me. So Melissa Kirby on LinkedIn, uh, otherwise through the website as well as you've as you've shared, Wayne, q5partners.com. Thank you. All righty. Good. I just want people to be able to, to follow up with you if they want yeah, to. Yeah, please. Yeah, very good. Again, Liz Kirby, Melissa, Liz Kirby uh, has been my guest. And this is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I am your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the president of Dynamic Leader, Inc., and known as the Exponential Success Coach. We'll see you again here next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.